However you're joining us today, we are grateful for you, and on behalf of Pebble Creek, we just want to say Merry Christmas. And you might say, well, we're two days past that. Every day should be Merry Christmas, the celebration of the Christ. So we don't limit that to December 25th. And if you know Jesus as Savior in your own way, I know that you don't. Because you get up every day and you thank him for the day and you ask him for help as you go about your day and you ask him to use you as you encounter and minister to other people. So we we celebrate Christmas every day, but we're thankful that we also have this focus time at the end of the year where not just our church or Christians, but the whole world, even if they don't know what they're doing and even if they don't like it, that their focus is on Jesus and that God ministers to them and draws them to him through these things that are going on all over the world and sometimes even in rebellion, people are celebrating and lifting up Jesus without even knowing what they're doing. I want to talk to you this morning about a, a different part of the Christmas story. You see the title there, Simeon Explains Christmas. But here's how we usually end our Christmas story, particularly from, from Luke. We end it with, The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. And that's verse 20. And we say, generally, that's the Christmas story. And we close our Bible and we let that speak for itself or, you know, whatever we do as we're reading the Christmas story with our family. But the next verse is it's an obscure part of the story, and we're going to look at that today. And I'll, I'll just read the verses and then start to comment on them. But verses 21 through 24 say, Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. And then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So this part of the story often just gets overlooked and left out. And and I liken that to any of you poor souls who have a birthday this right around Christmas. You know, you're two or three days before Christmas, or you're two or three days after Christmas, and you, you get a present for both instead of presents. You know, my birthday's in August. I never had to worry about that. But one unfortunate person here today, who, her birthday is two days after Christmas, and I will say that her family has always done a wonderful job when we get together. We do our Christmas celebrating, and then we, you know, take some time off and eat and drink some more hot chocolate, what have you. And then we go back into that room with the table, and we have presents in different kinds of wrapping paper. And my wife, Kelly, whose birthday is today, gets to open her birthday presents. So she, she criticizes her big family as a whole for maybe just throwing her a, a single card. And while all her sister and the relatives, the cousins, got both kinds of gifts, and hers was just obscurely wrapped up in one, her parents, at least in my uh, experience have done a wonderful job of of recognizing her birthday just like I'm doing right now and I'm doing that on purpose I don't want to call any attention to my birthday and I would never invite you to sing to me that's embarrassing to me and I just run away from it but for my wife I just want to tell you happy birthday and I love you and I'm and I'm thankful for you and that you have chosen to spend your life with me 
did, did I say this how you wanted me to say it? I mean, <laughs> we, had, we had a talk before church, and she laid some stuff down there. So this part of the story is kind of like Kelly's birthday. It just gets overlooked sometimes. But we're going to look at these verses that we have just read because even Luke, as he is describing about a month's worth of events, he just throws them together here in verses 21 through 24. And he makes several events just sound like it happened in a single day. And it didn't happen in a single day. There's a period of about a month here that Luke just generalizes through. And he was okay to do that. He had a purpose for why he wrote. But I want us to understand today what happens in these verses. When Jesus was 40 days old, Mary and Joseph took him to the temple in Jerusalem to obey several laws. Now that eight days later, he was circumcised. When the word then, it was time in verse 22, there's 33 days that have passed. From the period to the T, there's 33 days that have passed. And Luke just continues to write like this is part of that event. It wasn't part of that event. The circumcision was a separate thing. And then Mary had to fulfill some vows because after you give birth to a son, 33 days after the circumcision, she has to go and make an offering for being unclean from the act of childbirth. Now, if it had been a little girl, it would have been 66 days that you would have had to have waited. But then 33 days later, she had to make purification offering 40 days, that was total, after giving birth to a son. And we see the reason for that in Leviticus chapter 12. The offering was to be a one-year-old lamb for a burnt offering and then a young pigeon or dove for a sin offering. But if a family couldn't afford a lamb, they could offer another bird in place of that lamb so their offering becomes two birds instead of a lamb, which was viable and expensive, and a bird, which was not viable or expensive. So we see right away that Jesus was not born this born into a poor family. He wasn't born into a family of great wealth or means because we know that they offered two birds instead of that lamb and a bird along with it. Second, within this though, and Luke doesn't even mention it, but they had to dedicate their firstborn son to God with an offering of five silver coins. So Luke just, just, he just leaves that out and he makes this all just a few sentences and doesn't, doesn't tell us about that part, but we read about that in Numbers Chapter 18, Mary and Joseph acknowledged that Jesus belonged to God with this offering of the five silver coins as required in the law. And while they were at the temple doing these things, they met a man named Simeon, which we have already seen the video with some of his thoughts, if you would, about meeting the Savior. The entire sacrificial system symbolized what had to happen for us, for sinful human beings, to have access to holy God. Price had to be paid. Jesus fulfilled the law and the sacrifices, even as a baby, and his parents ensured that he did that. Even though he was sinless, even though he was himself going to become our perfect sacrifice and pay the debt for our sins, for all who would put their trust and faith in him, he fulfilled and ended the sacrificial system as it stood with the old Jewish law. In Hebrews 9:12, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. 
And we don't have to go through all that ceremonial stuff that the Jews did to have a relationship with God and to show our repentance, what is happening on the inside being evidenced by what we're doing with these rites, these ceremonies on the outside. Our ceremony is our trust in Jesus and the sacrifice he made once for all time for us. The story of Simeon explains, and his words explain, three truths about Christmas. He did this to particularly to Mary, and we're going to look at them individually today. First, with, uh, with Simeon, we see the waiting of Christmas. Look with me at verses 25 through 32. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of the people Israel. You imagine anybody's ever had a harder time waiting on Christmas than Simeon did? Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that he was an old man, but I have never had any thoughts in my mind other than he was an old man. doesn't tell us. He could have been 40, and 40 could have been whatever he had endured in life could have been near the end of his life, but I picture an old elderly man, you know, shuffling up to the temple because the Spirit of God led him there that day and just, and just looking around and waiting and say, today's the day. That's what I picture this, just like, you, just like you saw in the video. Do you think God's promise changed the way Simeon lived his life day to day? We don't know how much earlier in his life God had given him this promise, but again, I just picture it being years earlier. And him living his life day to day with ears open for that little cry and with eyes open for some family with some little baby boy bringing him to dedicate that child to God. Because from how Luke describes Simeon, this man knew scripture well enough to be looking for a baby, not some big military leader on a horse with a sword drawn coming in to save the day. He knew what he was looking for. I imagine he was the most alert person in history, looking, listening. What do I hear? What do I see today? Who is God bringing my way? But then as he got older, you know what happens as you get older. Tim just turned 50, and we celebrated his birthday with him, and, and we, never got a, we never got a final verdict on who gave the best card, but I told him I wanted to know whose card was best because mine said something about how much fun it is to get older and your, your sight starts failing and your hearing goes. And then when you open the card, it had this teeny little font. And it said, how do you like your musical Christmas card? And there, there's no musical Christmas card. So I just, I just assumed that my card was the best. But those things that you endure as you start to get older, some of us are, are living those things. And you don't have to get 80 or 90 to start experiencing those things. Your body starts letting you down at an early age and you realize that, I, I am not immortal. I cannot take a grenade. 
I don't like my music jacked up to 11 on a scale of 1 to 10 all the time as I, as I ride around in my car like some of us might have done as, as teenagers. There is a lasting effect on me from making those kinds of decisions in my younger years that are starting to, st can you turn that up, starting to affect as we get older. So I imagine this is what Simeon was dealing with. And I imagine him saying something like, please God, I don't know how much longer I can make it. Send him soon before I can't even see or hear him when he gets here. And then one day, they just like all the hundreds, we don't know, thousands before that day, God led Simeon to the temple, and his old eyes saw the promised Messiah, and there was God in a blanket. He held the Almighty in his arms, his Savior, his King, and his life was complete, and he said, Now let your servant die in peace. My life is full, and now I'm ready to go. We try to rush God's plans, don't we? Why do we do that? I think because we're impatient because we know that our life here on earth is, is limited, and you just blink and turn around, and it's been five years, and our social media stuff that we use now has, has a great reminder weekly, daily, if you use it, of showing you how quickly time passes as it sends you pictures. This was nine years ago, and you say, nine years ago and then you look in the mirror and you say yep that was nine years ago I wish I still had that much hair I wish I still looked like that I wish my child was still using a pacifier instead of going to middle school we, we have reminders of just how quickly life is passing so we impatiently say my time here is running out and I want this to happen now God I know you have good things for me and I know I am following you and I want this to happen but but when is it going to happen and we have a hard time waiting on God. I became a Georgia Bulldogs fan in February 1981. There was no real good reason. It's just that my dad was a pastor, and he moved us to Livonia, Georgia, right across the state line, right across from Hartwell Lake in Georgia. It's Hartwell Lake. It's not Lake Hartwell. We have to get it. It's Hartwell Lake. Right across Hartwell Lake was this town of Livonia, and Georgia had, month before, had won the national championship. The only, I probably told you this before, but the only college football game I remember watching up to that point was the 1979 Peach Bowl, and Baylor beat Clemson. So Clemson had their one shot to make me a fan when I was about six years old, and they blew it. They blew it. So I, I'm not going to like that team. They lose. So I was seven, and we moved to Georgia, and my team had just won, and everybody in our church was a Georgia fan, and there's pictures and signs. I mean, and it just happened, so it was being celebrated. Of course, I'm going to seven. I'm going to pick the winner. I'm going to start pulling for the winner. And I thought, we got this guy named Herschel Walker. We're going to win two or three more of these. It's going to be fun being a Georgia fan. And I haven't had much fun since. I haven't had much fun since. I mean, there's an occasional big win, but I'm not like you Clemson fans from the past few years. It has not been a lot of fun. And I'm sitting here saying, God, please let me see the glory of another Georgia national championship before I die. I'm now 47 and my time is running. And that's just with something meaningless like college football. Simeon was waiting on a Savior, and you're waiting on something, maybe, a dream, a hope, a family member to trust Jesus as Savior that you've been praying for, and you're saying, Father, when is this going to happen? Imagine how Simeon felt waiting for the Savior all those years. He reminds us that God is faithful. God's timing is perfect, even when we don't like or understand what's happening. 
We'll never completely know how God works. And you know what? We're not supposed to. We don't think like he thinks. We don't see everything that he sees, and we can't understand. And if he told us everything that's going to happen in our lifetime, we'd probably just drop dead right now of, of shock or heart attack. So we're best off as we are, and, and he knows that. He gives us the knowledge, the information we need as we are ready for it, as we are obedient to him, as we can handle it. But we rush ahead saying, I want what I want right now. I'm ready. We're the six-year-old ready to drive the car. I'm ready. I know I can do this. And God knows we couldn't keep it between those lines if, if our life depended on it. Our job is to trust him. Just like little children generally trust their parents. God is, Here's what we can take comfort in with this waiting of Christmas. God has never promised. So for all the things he promises to those who love him, you find these promises in Scripture, personal ways, things that you're praying for to him about, good things, good things, righteous things, things he would want to say yes for. Never give up hope. Trust him and don't start rushing him with your own alternate plan. I have things that I'm praying about and waiting on as well now. And I can rush ahead and do my own thing and make a wreck of my life and my family's life. Or I can sit and trust God knowing that he has what's best for me. Instead of me taking my bulldozer and creating my own wretched path. Next we see the division of Christmas. The division of Christmas. Now many people, you know this. 20, 25, 30 years of this we have seen. I saw a movie for the 1980, I saw a, a, a promo, a preview of the 1989 movie Prancer. I was just looking for a Christmas movie to show the kids, so I looked at YouTube to see what Prancer was about. I didn't remember. And within this ad for Prancer, another commercial came up, and this was from 1989. And it was some big major corporation. 1989, I've forgotten that it was this far back, and they were already refusing to use the word Christmas in 1989. The commercial multiple times talked about holiday this and holiday that. And I'm like, I didn't remember this becoming such a big thing till sometime later in the 90s. But all the way back to 1989, corporations, America, uh, greed, financial people that want to take advantage of the holiday season that is really the Christmas season and refuse to w use the word Christmas, they've been doing that since then. So I was just reminded of this in the past couple weeks, that it's not a new phenomenon. Many people try to hijack Christmas, take advantage of it for financial gain. Governments do it. Industry does it. That's not what Christmas is about, though. We have developed our own traditions to celebrate Christmas, things that aren't bad in and of themselves. We give gifts to commemorate God's greatest gift to us. There is Santa and elves and family and parties and Christmas Eve services that get canceled and all these kinds of things that we have as tradition. Oh, and candlelight. You know, where is that in Scripture? you got to have candlelight Christmas Eve service on December 20th. You know, none of that. Is, we just come up with our own traditions because we enjoy them and they they help us to celebrate Christmas is the celebration of the coming of our Savior and while our traditions can be good they should never supersede what Christmas is truly all about Savior infers I just said that Christmas is the celebration of the Savior Savior infers what the need to be Saved from something. Saved from what? Saved from sin. 
saved from me and my own evil schemes and plans and the evilness that is within me. I don't blame my sinfulness on somebody making me do it, the devil made No, James tells us that I sin because of my own evil desires and me following after them. The sin that is within me. Jesus came to save us from our sins. Make it personal, to save me from my sins. The world doesn't like to hear about any of that, though, right? So it's a lot easier to talk about the holidays than it is to talk about Christmas, Christ Mass, the celebration of the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, the Savior, the one who came to save us. It's just easier to do away with that word and to use a different word. We see the division when businesses and governments won't even use it to refer to things that would not even exist without the Christ mass. But we also see this decision, I mean this division lived out in most families. Now I know all of you don't get to experience this wonderful time of year with the civil war going on in your family, but some of us see this lived out in our own Christmas celebrations this year and we choose not to get together like that again for maybe five more years and then maybe things will calm down. You ever had a Christmas celebration like that where you saw this division over Jesus Christ lived out, played out in your own family? It shows you the truth, the reality that Jesus causes division. Luke 2, 33-34. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about, the, about him. And then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. This is the first negative word in Luke so far. We've gone all through the wonderful news of Jesus coming. Luke tells us about the events surrounding it. And he waited till the end of chapter 2 before he was required to put in a negative word. So up until now, Mary and Joseph might have expected nothing but good things for their son. They assumed everyone would love their Savior, probably. How could you not love him? He's going to be irresistible. He's coming to save us, to rescue us from our sins. Who's not going, going to, to want that? He's going to be wonderful and victorious and powerful and compassionate. He's going to love and save his people. Who would not want that? And then Simeon started talking about rejection and opposition. And he showed Jesus' future to Mary and Joseph. And later on, Jesus echoed Simeon's words. Look with me in Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 36. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household, the division of Christmas. Jesus came to the world and called sin what it is, and he condemned sin, called sinners to repentance. Repentance means to turn away from this thing that you're going after that is sinful and turn to Jesus over here who is calling you away from that and will forgive and restore you from that. But you can just stay here in the middle of this and curl up with it and hold on to it and love it and, and see what it has for you if you want to, but you have to stay turned away from Jesus 
to hold on to this thing that you need to repent of. It's one or the other. You have to make a choice. Some people responded by falling at Jesus' feet and repenting. And what did Jesus do? He saved them. But most people hated him. And they hated his message. So they cursed him and they sentenced him to die on a cross because they loved darkness instead of his light. Does this sound familiar? Again, it reminds us sometimes of just our own family life. It reminds me of mine sometimes. And it has reminded me of mine with some family members who are no longer even with us. And lastly, Simeon shows us the suffering of Christmas. Matthew 1.21 And you will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means God is salvation. Christmas at its root is about suffering. Jesus wasn't born to stay a cute little baby. As we've been saying, he was born to grow up, to live perfectly, and to die for us, making a perfect, perfect sacrifice for our sins that we can't make for ourselves. But also, let's consider the suffering that his parents experienced. We just put that in a box and put it to the side, don't we? We, we just set it aside, what they lived through, what they experienced. Nobody believed their story, with good reason. It would require a miracle for their story to be true, and man, who gets miracles? Nobody believed them. They were branded as liars and sexual sinners for the rest of their lives. It didn't, it didn't just end, you know, when Jesus was one. No, nobody moved them away like, you know, we've done in our history. Moved them away, and you come back a year later and, and live with this child maybe as your sister, your brother. No, that wasn't the deal. Jesus was their son. And everybody knew that y'all weren't married when you got pregnant. For the rest of their life, in their culture, look at how they were viewed. Look at what Jesus was considered. You know, you know what makes their, their suffering worse? We've just talked about for the rest of their lives, but Mary was probably 12 or 13 at the time God called her to be Jesus' mother. Joseph probably wasn't too much older than that. They were considered adults by their culture, but they were still young teens. They were still young teens. Serving God always involves some kind of sacrifice. But what a responsibility God gave them, teenagers, to be the parents of the Savior of the world and to endure the ridicule and the shame that people tried to put on them that they, should, they didn't do anything to be ashamed but the shame that people tried to put on them for following God's will and for saying, whatever, whatever you want, God, I will do it. I imagine that Jesus' heart broke in a different kind of way each time he met someone involved in sexual sin as he thought about his parents and what they had to live with all the days of his life. But let's look closer at Mary's suffering. It wasn't just the pain of childbirth or the drama surrounding the circumstances of Jesus' birth. Again, with Luke chapter 2, verses 34 and 35, And then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall 
but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. In verse 35, as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. She had to watch her perfect, sinless son die the most horrendous death imaginable. But notice who Simeon spoke to as he said these words. He spoke to her. And he said to Mary, the baby's mother. Do you get that? He didn't speak to Mary and Joseph as he said these things. He spoke to Mary. She had to face that sword that he spoke about alone. Joseph wouldn't be there with her. He died sometime before the crucifixion. We don't know when, we're not told. So Mary was the only person to experience both Jesus' birth and his death. She faced that sword alone without Joseph there with her to hold her hand as she faced it. As Jesus was dying on the cross, he told John to take care of Mary. And Dr. Page just preached from these verses a few weeks ago, so this is review for most of us. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, John, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. As I was reading over this last night, and as preachers sometimes unfortunately do, they practice on their wives. And Kelly said something that if I thought of it, I'd forgotten it. She said, imagine that. He had to tell one of his disciples, John, to take care of his mother when he had other brothers. And I was like, yep, because they didn't trust him. They didn't believe him at that time. They had rejected him. Jude, James, they didn't come to saving knowledge in their brother, their Savior, until sometime later. So Jesus had to entrust one of his disciples to take care of his mother. If we fail to understand the suffering of Christmas, we miss the purpose of Christmas. For he will save his people from their sins, and doing so involved suffering. As we close today, as we close today, I'll go ahead and issue an invitation. If you have never responded to what Jesus has done for you with repentance, with trust, with asking for forgiveness, acknowledging Him as the only person who can do anything about that, there's not a greater time for you to do that than today. And we, our staff, our church, would love to help you with that decision, to help you walk through the next steps of that. So although you are welcome to walk down front in a few minutes and make that decision public, if you're not yet willing to do that, let us know. We're here for you, and there are multiple ways that you can do that. Christmas is more meaningful when we understand everything that was involved, the waiting, the division, and, of course, the suffering. So let us thank God for Simeon's role in the Christmas story. And may this section of the Christmas story be more meaningful to us in the years to come. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for Luke, for including these words in this encounter with Simeon. We thank you for allowing us to study it today, to learn from it, 
to recognize just exactly what you have done for us and what it involved. And may it change us. May those of us here who already know you as Savior be more appreciative for what you have done and more willing to walk the steps that you call us to take. And if there are those here who have never trusted you as Savior, help them not to be able to leave this place without letting us know and making that decision public to someone who is here and that can help them. In Jesus' name, amen.